0: Injured in a car accident, we cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more,
1: lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville.
2: The sports world keeps spinning and the local
1: conversation
2: continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
3: And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. One night removed from Super Bowl 57. What a game it was. What a performance it was by both quarterbacks. Of course, a little controversy in the end. We will get to all of that. And the official start now, the official start, of the NFL offseason. We're about two and a half weeks away from franchise tag distinctions. We are officially 28 days away, four weeks from tonight, till the free agency period begins to open up. And the NFL draft, I believe, is officially 73 days away. So we got a lot to do. We are glad you are with us. The guest lineup looks like this. Coming up, in about 20 minutes or so, my man Mike d DRock, ESPN.com, making his long-anticipated Hacker After Dark debut. We will talk to Mike Dorocco about the Super Bowl last night, but primarily we'll start to lay the blueprint to the Jaguar offseason, guys that may go, guys that may stay, what positions need to be upgraded. Mike DeRocco, ESPN.com, 20 minutes from now. Coming up at the top of the nine o'clock hour, Rustin Dodd of The Athletic. He was in Glendale, Arizona last night. And uh, he had an interesting story on The Athletic's website earlier today. Jaguar fans, I think some of you saw this, for the ones that didn't. Not one, but two touchdowns last night by Kansas City the one to Kadarius Toney and the one to Sky Moore, where both guys were wide open. Kansas City took that from the Jaguars game week four against Philadelphia. Doug Peterson ran the same exact play against the Eagles, and Jamal Agnew scored a touchdown on that play. Eric bien saw that in preparation for the Super Bowl. They used it twice last night, got into the end zone both times. So there was a little Jaguar flavor to that play. We'll talk to Rudson Dodd about that. Again, the athletic, he was in the... uh. Glendale area last night for Super Bowl 57. That's coming up at 9 o'clock. And at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Monday night coaching with Campo. Former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Dave Campo, will join us just as he's done basically every Monday for about the last six months. We will review the Super Bowl and, again, look ahead to the Jaguars offseason. So a lot to do. We're with you till 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan, Denmark. Let's do that right now.
1: Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal?
3: What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker
1: After Dark.
3: The fallout from the Super Bowl with a little local tie-in. And I've also seen the error of my ways. I threw a lot at you there. Let me get to it. The fallout from the Super Bowl. It was a great Super Bowl. Great Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts was sensational. He was sensational. 370 yards from scrimmage, four touchdowns, rushing and throwing. You couldn't ask for much more than what Jalen Hurts gave Philadelphia. Played a great game. He was just beaten by a guy that might be this generation's Tom Brady. I'm not ready to say Patrick Mahomes is going to win seven Super Bowls and he's going to go to 10. But he's already won two and he's been to three. And he's 27 years old. I don't know if he's going to be stopping anytime soon. You know, I had a conversation earlier today with a well-respected member of the NFL media community, a conversation you'll hear later in the week on Hacker After Dark, and he brought up a comparison that I found really interesting, right? Rewind the clock back 15, 20 years ago to the quarterback class, say, early to mid-2000s. Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. But it was Peyton Manning's, or I'm sorry, it was Tom Brady's world, right? Tom Brady's world. Everybody was living in it. Occasionally, Peyton Manning would get to a Super Bowl. Occasionally, Eli Manning would beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. Ben Roethlisberger had a cup of coffee in a couple of Super Bowls, got a couple of rings. You know, Drew Brees got himself a ring. Phillip Rivers never did. He was damn good, but he never got himself a ring. And the point of the conversation was, fast forward now 20 years later, 15 years later, is Patrick Mahomes going to be this generation's Tom Brady? Where he's going to be the guy that the next 10 years will be in six Super Bowls. Maybe one year Josh Allen will get to one. Maybe Trevor Lawrence will find his way into one or two. Perhaps Justin Herbert finds himself in one. Joe Burrow, like we said, has already been in one. He might find his way into another. But by and large, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes more years than it's not. I hadn't thought about it like that, but he's right. Look, Ben Roethlisberger's a Hall of Famer. Peyton Manning's a Hall of Famer. Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer. Phillip Rivers should be a Hall of Famer. Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer. And those guys couldn't touch Tom Brady. Couldn't touch him. What does Big Ben have? Two rings? Eli with two? Peyton with two? There you go. You combine Drew Brees, Eli, Peyton, and Big Ben... And those four guys have the same number of rings as Tom Brady. Think about that for a second. And you wonder if Mahomes will have that same impact. I hope not, for our sake here in Jacksonville. I hope Trevor Lawrence finds himself in numerous Super Bowls, not just one or two over the next decade. But it's an interesting theory. Could Mahomes be this generation's Tom Brady? Andy Reid? First ballot Hall of Famer after last night. No question about it. Was probably in the Hall of Fame anyway. Was probably destined for Canton, Ohio anyway. Now there is no doubt. You win one, you're a terrific coach. You win two, you're a legend. Andy Reid is now a legend in the coaching community. Four Super Bowl appearances, two world championships, 24 years on the sideline. 14 in Philadelphia, 10 in Kansas City. He's an absolute legend. I said that I've seen the error of my ways. And I'm going to do my best from here on out. I might have a slip-up. I might have a regression. It's only common nature. But I'm going to try. And I'm really going to try. Whenever my team loses... Whether it's college football, the NFL, the NBA, whatever it is. I'm going to do my best not to blame the officials any longer. Because that was awfully annoying last night. Oh, Denmark. I got into it, man. Got into it with some people on Twitter. A horrible call. Yeah, well, all right. So everybody's talking about the James Bradbury holding penalty. That basically ended the game. Kansas City ran down the clock, kicked a field goal, won the game. And I thought it was holding. That's what happens when a guy grabs another guy's jersey. It's holding. Don't do something stupid. Well, it was very stupid. It doesn't matter if it's in the first quarter, the third quarter, or two minutes to go in the game. He held him. But I'm getting... Just roasted by folks. Oh, you're an idiot. It wasn't holding. You can't call that in that situation. What are they doing? Ruin the game. Ruin what would have been a great ending. All of this stuff, right? Ruined it. 30 minutes after that happened, they're in the post-game locker room in the Philadelphia Eagles, and James Bradbury admitted that he held the guy. He said, yes. I held him. I was hoping I would get away with it, but I held him. That ends the debate. That ends the conversation. When the guy who got called for the penalty is in front of the media and says, yeah, I held him, why are people still arguing it?
0: Can I interject real quick?
3: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Would you agree or disagree that the refs let them play the entire game? Yes
3: or no? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Did James Bradbury, again, oh, my gosh, I hope you're not going to go down this road. No, I
0: mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. All right. If, if, if you're an official there. Yep. Was it holding or not? Here's the Probably. Here's,
3: end of the debate. Okay. The but, but guy but who did it.
0: Time out. Said
3: he held him. Agreed.
0: But it's just like, back, okay, NBA, final minute. You're in the NBA Finals. The refs are swallowing the whistle. Yeah. You know how many times LeBron gets fouled and they don't call a foul? Because it's the NBA Finals.
3: Yeah. That's it's all, the Super Bowl. Right. You swallow the whistle. Yeah, no. It wasn't egregious. No, yeah, no, no, no. I totally disagree. He held the guy. The referee said he held him. Juju Smith-Schuster said he was held. Well, what's he going to say? But when James Bradbury says, yep, I held him, that ends the conversation, man. There's nothing else to be mad about. And I'll give Philadelphia Sports Radio credit. I woke up this morning because my Boston Terrier woke me up at 5 a.m. because she had to go do her business. And I could not go back to sleep after that. So I said, you know what? I'm up anyway. Let me turn on WIP in Philadelphia. And I want to hear what Eagle Radio is saying. They did an entire hour. I listened for one hour this morning. Not one mention of the referee. Not one mention of that holding penalty. They were too busy destroying Jonathan Gannon and their defensive coordinator. Destroying him. Hey, Philadelphia, how about you don't leave Kadarius Toney wide open for a touchdown? Hey, Philadelphia, how about you don't leave Sky Moore wide open for a touchdown? Hey, Philadelphia, how about Jalen Hurts doesn't fumble the ball to where Kansas City picks it up and gets a defensive score. Or Here's a a wild idea, Philadelphia. How about you stop Kansas City one time in the second half? You didn't do that either. Kansas City scored every time they had the ball in the second half. If I'm a Philadelphia Eagle fan, am I upset that they called holding on that play? Yeah, for 30 minutes. And then when my guy in the post-game locker room Says, yep, I held him. That's the end of it. It's over. You can't argue it anymore at that point. Yeah, they should have swallowed the whistle, this, that, or the other. He admitted he held the guy. He said, yep, that was holding. And look, Kansas City did the smart thing. Jarek McKinnon, unbelievably smart. Philadelphia should have sold that a little better. You, everybody knew they were trying to let Kansas City score. but You got to at least look like you're trying to stop them. Tackle the guy into the end zone, maybe. That's what I would have done. I wonder what the rule is there. If I'm Hassan Reddick, or if I'm Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, can I pick up Jarek McKinnon and throw him into the end zone? Yes. I'm actually serious about that. Is that a rule? Like, what would happen there if Hassan Reddick just decides to pick up Jarek McKinnon and run him into the end zone? That would be a fascinating question for a referee. But no, I... I, I I'm always the guy, or I have been the guy in the past that criticizes the officials. I was always the guy when Florida lost to Florida State. Now, granted, I was a youngster, and I still have fun with it now with the block in the back in 93, the swindle in the swamp in 03. Like I said, I have seen the error of my ways, and maybe this is a get-off-my-lawn moment at 39 years of age. But last night on social media, I understand people feel that they were robbed of what could have been an absolutely incredible ending. But a penalty is a penalty, man. And again, the NFL needs to do two things, by the way, going into next year. Two additional things. Number one, uh, they don't ever need to play a Super Bowl in Phoenix again when the field's like that. I don't know what that was all about. But the NFL, that was embarrassing for the NFL and for that stadium. And number two, I'm tired of figuring out what a catch is and what a catch isn't. Dallas Goddard did not get two feet in bounds with possession of that ball, and they gave him a catch. And meanwhile, Devonta Smith, to me, clearly dropped the ball. The ball clearly hit the ground, but everybody's losing their mind on Twitter that he caught it. So I don't know what a catch is anymore. I don't think you know what a catch is anymore. I don't think anybody listening knows actually what a catch is anymore in the NFL, and I'd like for them to figure that out before we get to the training camp part of the season in late July and early August. And then finally, the Jaguar-related topic from last night. I found myself watching the game, envisioning how Jacksonville would do against these two teams. Now, we just saw them against Kansas City, right, three weeks ago, and we saw them against Philadelphia in September. But as I'm watching this game last night, imagining Jacksonville being on this stage, I could see Trevor Lawrence out there doing his thing. I could imagine Christian Kirk and ETN and the offense out there doing their thing. Yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah, and by the way, he was a rock star in Phoenix. He was on every national TV show doing his thing. Trevor was a rock star last week. But the one thing that gave me pause watching the game last night, The Jaguars would have had no answer for A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. The Jaguars, we found out 23 days ago, had no answer for Travis Kelsey. They got to get better in the back seven. They got to get better coverage at linebacker. They got to get better secondary play. They probably got to get a better pass rush. I think Jacksonville is going to be very good next year. But watching that game last night, A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith would have torn Jacksonville a new one. So, at least in my opinion. So, I think secondary-wise, front seven-wise, you need some help on the defense. One of the local things that stood out. The other one? How about Jacksonville being in the first three or four images of the YouTube TV Sunday, TV, uh, Sunday Ticket commercial? When's the last time you saw the Jacksonville Jaguars that prevalent on a National Football League commercial? They're promoting YouTube TV. They're promoting the heck out of YouTube TV. Denmark, um, explain to me exactly what YouTube TV is. Just All right. So, I
0: know. so there's uh. So forever you had cable. You know, You, you had the Direct TV. You had those of the world. Yep. Now they're streaming. So you got Hulu, Sling, and YouTube TV is part of like the streaming. Interesting. Yeah,
3: I'm apparently a free agent again when it comes to that. So it's, I might uh, hack- I might be in the market.
0: So I'm I'm old enough, hack, to remember that YouTube TV like. Long time ago, like five years ago, was like forty five dollars. Now it's like seventy.
3: Huh. So Well, Sunday tickets going to YouTube TV. Yep. And they made a point of talking about not needing the dish and all that. But the Jaguars were right there. Trevor Lawrence to Evan Ingram, right in that promo. I think the third thing you saw in that promo was the Jaguars. Very rarely do you see that on a National Football League TV commercial having anything to do. With the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that was nice to see, man. That was really nice to see one night ago. But I'm serious. But you know, going back to the official thing, six four, one, ten, ten, we've all done it. It's a rite of passage, right, as a sports fan. Has any sports team ever lost just for the fact that they lost? I don't know. I think the referees have cost us about ninety eight percent of our games. I think we're willing to admit we actually lost 2% of our games. But it's always the referee's fault, right? Always. Until you blame the referee and 30 minutes later your own guy says, yeah, it was holding. And then you're still arguing it should not have been holding. I found that unbelievably comical last night. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. It is a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Your phone calls, your texts are welcome at 641-1010. Coming up next, DRock, our buddy Mike dot ESPN.com. Let's take a brief look back at the Super Bowl last night, but let's lay the foundation for the Jaguar offseason that is to come. Mike dot ESPN.com is next on Hacker After Dark.
2: No. Another interview
1: on the Farrah & Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah & Farrah.
3: Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening and we are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 57 in the books. The Kansas City Chiefs are once again world champions after defeating the Philadelphia Eagles. And with the end of the Super Bowl means the next time football will be played in the NFL will be the preseason for the 2023 season as teams get back to work here in a couple of weeks. Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. We lovingly call him D Rock, I believe making his Hacker After Dark debut. This is certainly an emotional moment for all involved. Mike, it's been a long time, man. How are you?
4: I'm doing great, and um, it I think it is my debut, and, and that usually, you know, what, I get a T-shirt for that or, <laughs> you know, some kind of, like, welcome gift, right? Like a welcome basket or something?
3: My never-ending love and affection for all that is is D-Rock. How about that? Does that work for you?
4: <laughs> I'll take what I can get at this point, sure. There you go. All right,
3: Mike, <laughs> let's dive into the Super Bowl. I want to spend a majority of the time on the Jaguars, but what a game. Last night, a little bit of controversy at the end with the, the holding there on James Bradbury, although he admitted that it was holding in the locker room. I don't know why there's a controversy, but what did you take away from the Super Bowl one night ago?
4: Uh, Well, yeah, you know, you,
3: two things that people are
4: talking about today is that that call there and the fact that the field was just a mess, uh, the biggest game of the year, the biggest stage of the year. And instead of talking about what a great finish or what a great game it was, everyone's talking about the holding call that I guess, you know, legitimately was a holding call. If, if, you know, the kid's going to admit that he did it. And then the fact that the field was falling apart and guys were slipping and, and it was just not a good look for the league, but, you know, a heck of a finish and, you know, awesome, you know, shootout between the two teams there. And, you know, we got to see, Patrick, why Patrick Mahomes is so good, and we got to see why Jalen Hurts is so good. So, overall, pretty entertaining night, I thought.
3: Mike, I was talking to uh Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News earlier, and he brought up an interesting point, one that I hadn't thought of. With the, the crop of quarterbacks right now, you rewind the clock back 15, 20 years. You had Tom Brady, right? And every once in a while, you'd get Drew Brees winning a ring, or Pat, or, um, You know, other guys, Ben Roethlisberger won a couple of rings. Eli won a couple. Peyton Manning won a couple. But Brady with seven, right? I mean, lapping the field two and three-fold. Could we see that again with Mahomes being the, quote, Brady of this generation where every once in a while maybe Herbert or Burrow or Josh Allen or Lawrence will get there? But by and large, for the next decade, this is going to be Patrick Mahomes' conference.
4: I think so, although seven's a big number for sure. But, you know, the the thing of it is, is that you have the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid combo, which is pretty darn strong. Um, But do we think that the crop of quarterbacks back then in the same conference is as good as the crop of quarterbacks that we have now in the AFC you know, when you factor Trevor and Josh Allen and, and Lamar Jackson, if he stays there, I think that will make it harder for Patrick Mahomes to be that guy that gets four or five uh, Super Bowl titles just because you've got to go through so many of those guys in your own conference um, to get in. And, and you know, every year we saw that the Patriots were pretty much either the best or the second best team in the AFC pretty much every season that that started um, you know, I don't know that we'll be able to say that about the Chiefs every year, but it's going to be a tougher road, I think, to get to the Super Bowl through the AFC than, than I think maybe Brady had back then.
3: Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. There was a little Jaguar flavor last night as well. I saw the story this morning that the Kansas City Chiefs and Eric Bieniemy took a play out of the Jaguars' playbook. If you go back to week four against Philadelphia, I believe it was Jamal Agnew that they sent in motion brought him right back to where he started for the touchdown. The same exact thing, Mike, the Kansas City did last night with Kadarius Toney on one side and Sky Moore on the other. So even though the Jaguars weren't playing last night, something they used against Philadelphia four months ago was used against them again and worked like a charm. Yeah, a little Doug Peterson
4: magic there for uh for Andy Reed for the Super Bowl. Um you know, look, and and like that's bad on the the, the Eagles for not uh for not recognizing it. I you know, you give them the first one. Okay, It's I right, you got us on that one. Great. Um but but having the same play again go for a touchdown both of which were wide open. I mean, like there was nobody around those receivers um when they caught those balls. Those were easy walk-ins, easy throws. Um, you know, and, and that's part of the reason why I look at everyone complaining about the, 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 the holding call. It's like, look, you gave up 38 points. <laughs> I mean, you gave up two easy touchdown throws, you coughed up a fumble and, you know, had a return for a touchdown. So, you know, we can focus on all of those on, on that holding penalty, but you gave up 38 points. If you make one of those plays there, who knows if it goes different, but yeah, it was interesting to see because like the first time they ran it, I was like, didn't Agnew run something similar to that? And obviously, you know, it's maybe a little bit, bit of a different formation or whatever, but the concept was the same, um, obviously. And uh, it was interesting to kind of see and look and Doug Peterson and Andy Reedy know each other as well as any two coaches do. So I'm sure that, you know, they had run that play before at times way back when when Doug was was his offensive coordinator and they just pulled it out again.
3: All right, Mike, we're three weeks post the season, I think 23 days, the official number since the Jaguar season came to an end, 28 days from tonight till the start of free agency. Hard to believe we're basically halfway between when the Jaguar season ended and when the league calendar begins for 2023. Very quiet on a lot of fronts. I think after the Super Bowl now, maybe we'll start getting some more information when it comes to franchise tags in the coming weeks. Jawan Taylor, Evan Ingram, Arden Key, the rest of these unrestricted free agents that are scheduled to hit the market on Monday, March 13th. Overall view, before we dive into a couple of specifics, the offseason for the Jaguars, your one or two biggest priorities that they have to figure out prior to the 13th of March?
4: Well, obviously figure the cap out, which, um, you know, they, they can release Shaquille Griffin and save about $13 million there. Um, They'll do some restructuring and stuff. So it's not necessarily a problem for them to get under the cap. Um, It's just, they're going to have to do some work to get it done. Uh, And then the other number two or one, a, if you want to look at it that way is bringing Evan Ingram back. I I think if you can only bring one of those free agents back, he, uh, Juwan Taylor, you have to bring Evan Ingram back. I think that's the most important one to bring back. You don't have anybody else on the roster that can kind of fit into that role, um, he's probably the guy that you want out of all the free agent tight ends just because Trevor has a relationship with him. He's thrived in this offense before. He wants to be here. Um, that's the guy you have to bring back. I mean, you can, you, you have Walker Little on your roster, like he can be your right tackle. You've got a guy that you drafted eventually to take over there. And you got to figure that this kid, the more he plays, the better he's going to get because he's really not played a ton of football. Since he missed those two years, uh, you know, in in college at Stanford with the injury and then the COVID year, so those are the two priorities to me. You got to bring Ingram back after you figure out the cap, and and I don't have any doubt that they'll get the cap figured out. And I don't know that we'll see Ingram get franchise tagged early. Um, they're going to take as long as they can to try and work something out with him before they just throw the franchise tag up there. But when it looks, you know, if it looks like it's going to get close. You know, to when you know contracts expire and he could hit the market. I think that's when they would use the franchise tag if they can't get anything done.
3: Mike D'Aracco, ESPN.com. dot com. That's where I was going. So you think the franchise tag may be a last resort, but you think it's a possibility when it comes to Evan Ingram?
4: Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it's a possibility with with Juwan Taylor because that's just too much money. I think that's out of their their price range, to be honest with you, but yeah, you can't let Evan Ingram walk. You can't, he wants to be here. Trevor wants him here. Uh, It was a great fit. Doug Peterson really knows how to use tight ends in the offense. I mean, you go back to what he did at Philly. You go back to this year. Ingram's a matchup problem. I mean, he really, really is. And they don't, they ask him to do the things that he's really good at, which is get out there and get matched up against a linebacker, make them, make the defense, make the choice on him. And then he's able to get open when he's got those mismatches. And, you know, they run those crossers with him and Zay Jones. And, and those things are, as Trevor said the other day, they're pretty hard to stop. Um, so I think that that's the priority they have to have is getting him back. And, and if they don't have anything worked out with him, then yeah, they're going to, they would use the franchise tag on him. You can't let him out of the door. Can't just can't do it.
3: You mentioned Jawan Taylor. Um, if he does indeed walk, Uh, Is it as simple as move Walker little to right tackle or could it be more complicated than that?
4: I think the it's pretty simple. If you're a hundred percent sure that cam Robinson's going to be fine to start the season at left tackle, if he's not, then it's a little bit of a different um, problem, but uh, the indications are that he should be, I guess the early indications are that everything went well with the surgeries and, and he should be ready to go by the season. So if, if that's the case, then I think that's really simple. Now look, they do they want to beef up the interior? Absolutely. Um, now if Juwan Taylor's willing to take, you know, less money than he could get on the open market to stay here, well, that's another, you know, benefit for the Jags. But I don't know that I see that happening. Um, you know, and, and I don't honestly think it should. I mean, you're you're you got to get as much as you can get. You never know how long this career is going to last in the NFL. So get as much as you can get when you can get it. So I wouldn't blame Juwan if he left um, and took a better deal somewhere else. But I think the more we've seen of Walker little play, I think the more confident the Jaguars are that he'll be able to handle that role.
3: A couple of more from Mike dot ESPN.com. DRock, when you look at the Jaguars as a whole, you look at things they might do uh, once free agency gets here, there is some talk about cutting some guys to save some money. Now, you can restructure the likes of Christian Kirk, Brandon Sheriff, move that money into the future, which they're likely to do. But the Roy robertson Harris's, the Rayshawn Jenkins, the Jamal Agnews, I think those three guys alone, if you were to release them, you would save something like $17 million, along with Shaq Griffin, which is probably a foregone conclusion at this point, any other well-known veterans that you think maybe have to let go because of salary purposes? Uh,
4: No, I think those are the three main. Um, and like you said, you can go ahead and, and see if those guys are willing to restructure. Um, and, and most players are because the bottom line is you're giving them future money now. You know what I mean? And, and most guys will take the future money now, especially if it's not guaranteed in the future they'll be and you're like, hey, you know what? We'll give you three more million dollars as a signing bonus right now. Most guys will take that because they'd rather have the money in hand than theoretical money in the future. So, you know, it's interesting. You know, Agnew's an interesting guy because I don't he's clearly a fan favorite here. and, And it's good to see that people haven't really killed him. Um, you know, for what happened in the AFC uh, divisional game against the Chiefs with the, the, the fumble that might not have even actually been a catch, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know that he's back, Hacker. though, I don't know if they're going to sit there and say, hey, let's let's push some money in the future um, with Agnew um, and, and see if we can keep him around. Uh, The only the only thing that I would say is, look, you got Calvin Ridley supposedly coming in. We don't know yet for sure. I mean, he has to apply for reinstatement on Wednesday. Wouldn't expect to hear anything from the league in terms of the approval for a while after that. So, you know, you at least have a guy on the roster in Agnew if you keep him around and you can restructure that that knows the system. And that can give you something offensively because you really don't know 100 percent what you're going to get out of Calvin Ridley. So that might be the only reason, you know, that I would see the Jags really wanting to keep him around. I, you know, I I shouldn't say, I I just, I wouldn't be surprised if they cut him uh, to be honest with you, but I think that they're going to try and find a way to keep him around.
3: Final moments, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com, DRock, Roy Robertson Harris and Rayshon Jenkins around Halloween. Those were no brainers that you cut those guys to save that money. Then all of a sudden, those guys became maybe your two best defensive players during that winning streak, and now to me, I mean Robertson, and Harrison, and Jenkins—you got to find a way to bring those guys back, do you not? Yeah, certainly Jenkins for sure.
4: Um, because here's the thing—you you know people talk about this, and I'm just as guilty as, Oh, they cut this guy, they cut that guy. Well, sometimes, you know, you're creating—you cut that guy for a salary cap need, and if you absolutely have to do it, sure. But if there's ways to get around it and still keep a good player, that's probably the better way to go because now you're creating another hole that you have to address. And you can't go out and spend a ton of money in free agency this year. And, and they don't really want to be the team that has to do that anymore anyway. Um, and now you're you're picking, what, 24, 25, whatever it is now. Um, you know, so you're not picking in the top 10 to add supposed elite talent. So, you know, the more guys you cut – that are good players the more holes you create and I just don't think that they're going to do that with those two guys I think they'll find a way to restructure both.
3: D-Rock leave us with this and we'll certainly have you on you know as developments warrant this off season. you mentioned the interior of the offensive line give that position and maybe one or two more that you think in a perfect world if the Jaguars could upgrade there in the next month and a half they would try to do that what positions do they need to get better at in your opinion? uh this includes the draft uh but you know, we'll start with free agency and we'll get to the draft later on just free agent speaking what can they do to upgrade this roster position wise well it's it,
4: you know there's an alleged good group of tight ends that are available in free agency because you just never know who really is going to be available um so they've got to address that there whether that means bringing chris Mannhurts back or finding someone else because the only guy they have under contract right now is is luke farrell and i don't expect them to bring Dan Arnold back. So that's a position, um, you know, interior depth on the offensive line and, and along the defensive line. And, you know, not big name guys, um, but they're going to have to look those second and third tier free agents to see if they can fit them in, because that's the area, you know, those two areas of the offensive line is, is where they have to improve the most, I think. And, you know, getting Ben Barch back will certainly help. Um, but they have to get more of a pass rush from the the, the middle of that defensive line. And I know you're not going to find that elite guy as a free agent there, but they just need to get better there overall. So I think those are the areas, you know, that they'll probably take a look at the most in free agency.
3: Mike, we're out of time. Chris Jackson, the wide receiver coach is gone. They bring in Chad Hall from Buffalo. We know Jim Bob Cooter is interviewed in a couple of places for current offensive coordinator roles. Nothing as of yet at the time you and I are speaking, but it looks like by and large the coaching staff is going to be uh, pretty much intact new wide receiver coach, but that might be it, right? Yeah. And, and that's good.
4: Uh, You know, Doug Peterson spent, you know, six months talking about stability and, and uh, you know, consistency and knowing what to expect. And, and, you know, when you can bring your entire coaching staff almost back intact, that's great, you know, especially you know your coordinator spots and the guys around Trevor Lawrence. So that's that's a good thing. Now, if things go the way we expect it to go in 2023, then we're not going to be able to say that about this team next year.
3: Mike D'Eraco, you can read his terrific work at ESPN.com. D'Rock, it's been far too long, brother. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Hack.
2: After dark on 1010XL.
3: You know, a couple of pieces of business before we rewind the clock back about five months and see how bad Denmark and I did in our official predictions. I know, I think my two uh, Super Bowl teams at least made the playoffs. They didn't do much more than that. Um, Derek Carr, according to Ian Rappaport, is going to be released as early as tomorrow. From the Raiders organization, he's due a $40 million roster bonus, which is why he's going to be released before that goes into effect. It'll be weird seeing Derek Carr in another uniform next year. He has been with the Raiders since 2014. He was in the Blake Bortles draft and has been with the Raiders ever since. So that will be odd to see Derek Carr in another team's uniform and... We're 28 days away from free agency. As you know, we're going through four guys a night that are going to hit free agency on the Pro Football Focus Top 100. 28 days away, I believe we're now uh, 20 hacker after darks away. So we're under the top 80. Austin Hooper and Will Hernandez are the two guys I really wanted to focus on tonight. Will Hernandez, an interior offensive lineman. Remember that some people wanted the Jaguars to draft him when he was coming out a couple of years ago. Austin Hooper's the kind of guy that won't cost a lot, but he might be a replacement for Dan Arnold. That's a guy I would keep an eye on. If Austin Hooper becomes available and you lose Dan Arnold in free agency, a guy like an Austin Hooper is somebody the Jaguars are going to have enough money to bring in here to replace a guy like Dan Arnold. Adrian Amos, the safety of Green Bay, and Alex Singleton, the linebacker for Denver, round out the foursome tonight. I don't know if it's Alex Singleton or not, but the Jaguars probably do need another linebacker or two. Safety, I think they're okay, depending on what happens in-house. Do you re-sign Andrew Wingard, and are you able to keep Sean Jenkins? If the answer is yes to both of those, they probably don't need a safety. If the answer is no to one or both of those, safety becomes a more pressing issue when free agency does indeed begin in 28 days. Dylan, Denmark, you and I, going back to what Labor Day, right after Labor Day, we did our official NFL predictions. You have searched through the tape. You have studied it. You have recorded it. And you have the results of we what do. you and I did. And I guess we'll begin in the AFC, correct?
0: Yeah, so these, this was from September 7th, 2022. I believe this was the day before the Thursday night game. What was the Thursday night game to open the season? Uh, it was I the Bills at the
3: Rams. That's right. Yeah. So
0: we will start here with the AFC East. This is what Hacker said to for the AFC East division.
3: AFC East, I got the Buffalo Bills winning it. Although I think Miami and New England will both finish over 500. Not bad. Hey, winner, winner, chicken dinner. I like that.
0: All right, so let's move on to the AFC North, you said.
3: AFC North? Boy, is Cincinnati going to win that? Pittsburgh's a lot better than I thought they were going to be. Baltimore, I think, is going to be pretty good. Although, how much is the Lamar Jackson contract issue going to matter there? I'll go Cincinnati, but I think at least one wild card spot comes out of that. Come on, Denmark. I'm two for two, man. Cincinnati and Baltimore got in. I'll take these results.
0: All right, so you're two for two. AFC West.
3: I will take Kansas City to win the West. But I think the Chargers are going to be right there. I think the Raiders are going to be right there. Mm-hmm. And I think the Broncos might even finish around 500. Oh. Oof! No, oof! I got the division right at least. I yeah. got the division winner right.
0: Yeah, so we're 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 doing decent now.
3: That, that to me is a passing grade oh, in the yeah. AFC West. yeah,
0: that's a that's a good B. So now so now we go to the AFC South. This was this was pretty good. Roll tape.
3: In the AFC South. Let's actually go there last. I can't do it. I, I want to say Jacksonville will be in contention for the one or two spot. I've seen some national media pick. The Jaguars to be the surprise of the league, to win the division. I'm not there. I've had them at seven and ten the entire off season. I will remain there at seven and ten, which I would be great with. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm shooting them uh, underneath their win total. I hope they're an eight, nine, maybe even a ten win team. But in the South, I'm gonna go Indianapolis one, oh, Tennessee two, Jacksonville three, and Houston. Coming in at number
0: four. You can't get them all hacked.
3: I talked myself out of it, man.
0: Yep. always go with your gut.
3: I did. Hey, hey, look, you know, seven and ten. By the way, seven and ten on Thanksgiving looked pretty good. Yeah. Who was to know they were going to rattle off six consecutive Ws at that point?
0: Yeah, so you were three for four with the division winners?
3: Uh, Three for four with the division winners. I'll take that. That's a passing grade in any college course.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, see, it's complete. I was always told that. Uh, I was
3: told D's get degrees. Yeah,
0: I had a math teacher tell me C is complete, D is done. Uh, Let's go to the NFC. The NFC East, you said?
3: I like Philadelphia to win this division. There's something about that team, man. You add Mm. A.J. Brown, Jalen Hurts is a terrific player. I believe he'll be better this year. He's looked the part in the preseason. I think he will be good enough with A.J. Brown, with that running game, and with that defense to win the NFC East. I'll tell you, Denmark. I was kind of worried about this, thinking how bad I was going to be in these predictions. I think I'm looking pretty good right
0: now. Yeah, so far you had Dallas making, you had Dallas in the wild card, and they yeah. got that. All right. So the NFC North.
3: In the NFC North, I'm going to take Green Bay by default. Ugh. I don't believe they'll be as good without Devontae Adams. How could they be? But who is going to take that division from them? Chicago is No offense to Taylor Dahl. She'd even admit that. Detroit's not, although I think Detroit's going to be improved. Is Minnesota going to take that division from Green Bay? I don't think so. I'll have to see it before I believe it. So I'm going to take Green Bay to win the North. I might take the Vikings, though, as one of my wild cards.
0: So now you're one for two in FC.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's not a fail to me. That's certainly not a not an A, I give myself a C there. I said Green Bay or Minnesota. I just had them reversed.
0: I agree. I agree. All right, NFC South.
3: In the NFC South, I think uh, Tampa Bay is going to win it again by default, basically. But I think New Orleans is going to be good as well. Atlanta and Carolina coming up the rear. Yeah, the whole division sucked. But I did get the winner right, so Mm -hmm. I'll
0: take that. You did. And in the final last but not least, the NFC West.
3: And in the NFC West... Oh boy, I'm going to take the Rams although I Oof. do think they are going to take a step back. Oof.
0: You were you were right about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, who who was ever going to think that the defending world champions would what did they win? 5 games? Yeah, 6 I think games. So. They were the biggest disappointment in the league. Denmark, I'm happy with that, man. Yep. Good job pulling all that audio. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah,
0: so we can go to the championship games now, and this is where it gets uh dicey. You said this for the AFC Championship.
3: In the AFC, I will go with the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Buffalo Bills Mm -hmm. in what would be one of the most hyped AFC championship games of all time. And I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to go Buffalo. I'm a believer in the Bills. I'm a drinker of the (laughs) (laughs) Kool-Aid. Well, I mean, look, they were in the Final Four in the AFC, so I wasn't completely... Off base. But, yeah, I I bought too much into Buffalo, no question.
0: Yeah, and everybody, I mean, good grief by week three, if you remember, everybody was ready to give them the the Lombardi. Yeah,
3: and Buffalo did beat Kansas City in the regular season. Obviously, that didn't mean very much.
0: Yep, and then the NFC Championship, you said.
3: NFC Championship game. Uh, Again, can Aaron Rodgers do it without Devontae Adams? I'm just not sure he can. I will go the Los Angeles Rams. Oh, no and i will go boy i'll go tampa bay oh i don't no. know why but i just got kind of a feeling brady's going to do something this year oh I would was- say the buccaneers end up in the super bowl that was indigestion is what that was that was that feeling i must've had some bad chinese the night before i made that pick
0: yeah that is
3: crippling it. to my uh, thought that i did well in the predictions i mean granted the bucks were a division winner But the Rams and Bucks in the NFC title game, yikes. That's terrible.
0: And last but not least, you got the Super Bowl.
3: In the Super Bowl. And I will go with the Bills Mafia and Mm. the Buffalo Bills winning the Super Bowl in February. I think they kick off the season tomorrow night with a win. And they end the season in February at the Super Bowl with another victory. All right. Well, I mean, look, both of my Super Bowl teams won their division, right? And both of my Super Bowl teams obviously made the playoffs, so it's not a complete fail. But, yeah, it goes to show you how much things change. I like that you did that. That'll become a yearly Monday after the Super Bowl tradition here on Hacker After Dark, Denmark. That was good stuff. I do like how things change. By the way, what was your Super Bowl pick?
0: I had Bill's Rams. AFC Championship, Bills-Ravens. NFC Championship, Rams-Vikings. I was just off.
3: Yeah, just off a little bit. That's good. That's good. Kansas City, your Super Bowl champion, beating the Philadelphia Eagles last night 38-35. A man that was in attendance last night in Glendale, Arizona, is my buddy Rustin Dodd of The Athletic. He covers all sorts of sports for The Athletic, but he was in... Phoenix last night for the Super Bowl, and he is the guy, Jaguar fans, that did the story on Eric Bieniemy earlier today, about Eric Bieniemy taking a page out of Doug Peterson's playbook and using the exact same play that Jacksonville scored on Philadelphia in Week Four, using it not once but twice last night, that led to two Kansas City Chief touchdowns. We'll get the backstory on that and more. Rustin Dodd of The Athletic, talking Super Bowl 57 with you next on Hacker After Dark.
1: Another interview on the Farrah & Farrah phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah & Farrah.
3: Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The Kansas City Chiefs are once again hoisting the Lombardi Trophy after a 38 35 win last night over the Philadelphia Eagles, a Super Bowl that was great, a Super Bowl that'll be talked about for quite some time, and a little controversy in the end as well. Let's talk about all of it with Rustin Dodd of The Athletic. He was in Phoenix last night covering the Super Bowl for The Athletic, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Rustin, how are we doing, man?
2: I'm doing well. Yeah, just enjoying a a quiet day in Phoenix now uh flying home tomorrow so yeah I got a got a day
3: <laughs> it's like the calm after the storm if you will um boy the the game last night lived up to the hype the quarterback play was exceptional on both ends the offenses were dynamic of course everybody's talking about the defensive holding penalty Rustin we'll get to all of that in a moment but from a mile up point of view just summarize last night what we saw in Super Bowl 57
2: well, I mean, I, I think you saw, you know, two, probably the two best teams in the NFL, and in playing in a, uh, a coin flip game that was going to come down to, uh, you know, two three plays here or there, or two or three big moments, and I think you saw um, that Patrick Mahomes is, um, you know, the best player in football, and he's the best quarterback in football, and probably by a significant margin, and I think. Um, you know, when you add up his talent and the way he played last night, especially on on essentially one one good leg. Um, I think you saw that. And, you know, the Chiefs, you know, they could have lost last night. The Eagles easily obviously could have won that game. I mean, it could have a million different things could have happened. The, the Eagles could have easily gotten out of there with a victory. Um, but in, in oftentimes, you know, the quarterback position is is a thing. And um, it, it was the thing last night.
3: You know, I would imagine, again, I I don't know this, but my assumption is Super Bowl trophies are, are like children, right? It's hard to choose one over the other. But from a Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City point of view, the one a couple of years ago, maybe they caught some people off guard. That was not the case this year. I mean, Kansas City's been the hunted for quite some time. And for Mahomes to go through the young guns at quarterback, whether it's Herbert in the regular season and then beating Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Jalen Hurts in the postseason to win his second Lombardi. Boy, Rustin, what a job by that organization and by that quarterback to get it done again this year.
2: No no doubt. I mean, it's an interesting discussion looking at those two championships because the Chiefs had not won a Super Bowl in 50 years uh, when they won in early 2020. So that is always going to have, uh, at least for people in Kansas City, Chiefs fans, that's always going to have a nostalgic kind of intent uh, to it or what not. But I think once they won that, the, the expectation was, OK, you know, maybe maybe the Chiefs are not the new Patriots. You know, maybe they're not going to roll off, you know, six or seven, uh, you know, Super Bowls or anything like that. But they, they are going to be the preeminent team in the NFL. And, and they have a chance to put together, you know, a, a nice little run here. What you could even maybe call it a dynasty at some point. And I think that was sort of the hope, the expectation and then they got kind of punched in the face <laughs> in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers uh, the next year. And then they they kind of collapsed in the AFC title game last year. So I think this this Super Bowl kind of just solidifies the thought that okay, um, the Chiefs can be that team that can still roll off another another, you know, one, two, maybe even three Super Bowls over the next decade.
3: Well, and, and to that point, again, Rustin Dodd of the Athletic here with us on Ten Ten XL in Jacksonville. Speaking about Mahomes, I mean, look, there's no doubt, Rustin, that our, our guy here in Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, you know, Josh Allen in Buffalo, Burrow in Cincinnati. You can go on down the line, Herbert. People have forgotten that Deshaun Watson is now in the AFC, Lamar Jackson as of this point as well. I mean, so the, the quarterbacks are coming, right? There is a ton of competition, but good grief for the here and now it is still absolutely Mahomes' conference until somebody takes it away from him.
2: No, definitely. And I mean, you could, you can get into the ins and outs of it, but it, even more impressive was, uh, you know, Mahomes is already on his second contract, right? So I think the, the chiefs won the Super Bowl last night with the most cap space allotted to a quarterback, I believe in history because of, you know, the way the CBA has worked in the last 10 years and be, been redone, you know, nobody's ever, I think Mahomes takes up about 17% if I have my numbers right of the chiefs cap. Um, and the number had never been that high. So, you know, you can win a, a Super Bowl with, um, you know, a, you know, I, I think, you know, like if the if the right team was around Trevor Lawrence and, and he continues to develop, of course you could win a Super Bowl with a, a quarterback of that thing. But you need another team or you need a team around him, which, you know, it's when the window, you know, on that rookie deal is so is so kind of wide open. If you can put a team around a guy. Um, but Mahomes is kind of the exception to the rule where it's, you know, you have to be that next level to get to that second deal and s- still be able to, to to win a Super Bowl like they did last last night.
3: Rustin Andy Reid was probably going to Canton regardless. Now he's absolutely going to Canton. He's probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer when he finally uh, hangs it up. Where did last night, and now the body of work, 24 years of coaching, 14 in Philly, now 10 in Kansas City and two Lombardi trophies, is he entering the conversation among the top – You know, six, seven head coaches that have ever done it.
2: I think so, and I I'm stealing this from somebody, and I can't remember somebody during Super Bowl week made this point or argument, and I, so I, but I think you know he's not going to reach you know the levels of uh, you know Belichick or um, you know uh, some of the others that have just you know won a lot of Super Bowls. I just don't think he's going to have enough time, although we'll see. I don't know. I mean, if he, if he coaches another five or six years with Patrick Mahomes, maybe he does reach that level. But what, what I was going to say was I, I do think he's entering the argument of the best offensive coach of all time. Um, and I think, you know, the others in the conversation are probably Bill Walsh, uh, maybe a Mike Shanahan. And, and I think Andy Reid is right there with them. And especially if he could get another Super Bowl, I think he could, you know, maybe – Past Bill Walsh, is if you're looking for, okay, this is, in terms of the best coaches who have ever done it on the offensive side, you know, it's Andy Reid, um, and so I, I think that certainly is there. And then, you know, I don't, I don't know how to rank the, you know, top five or ten coaches, you know, ever or anything, but he's, certainly he's, he's entering that conversation. Uh, second Super Bowl, he's been in uh, four of them, so you know, especially if you could get a third, you know, that would put him in elite company.
3: Couple couple more for Rustin Dodd of The Athletic. He was in Phoenix last night for Super Bowl 57. Rustin, un- unfortunately, there was a couple of things that stood out that probably are a black eye for the league. I mean, ironically enough, last week Roger Goodell says officiating has never been better. You yeah, know, well, that's not what it looked like on social media last night when James Bradbury was called for that hold. I'm curious what the reaction was in the stadium, even after Bradbury admitted that it was a hold in the postgame. And then the field was like a slip and slide. I think a couple of Eagles even said it was like playing at, at a water park. I mean, that's that's just not a good look for the league, right, to have a Super Bowl in those conditions?
2: Yeah, the, the field to me is is, is troublesome. Uh, they've had issues with this field for years and years, even with college games down here. Um, the Chiefs played actually – they opened their season here and had a couple injuries in, in week one, um, including their kicker and uh, a rookie cornerback. Uh, so they were familiar with, you know, the field uh, and its problems. Um, and I honestly think, you know, I, I actually think that the Chiefs did not allow a sack last night. And, you know, if you really look at the film, which I haven't really, you know, dove in or anything like that, but I, I kind of think that one of the reasons that the Philadelphia pass rush didn't, Wasn't more productive. Was was the field that they just weren't able to get footing. It's almost like you're playing on snow, um, you know, like that. So uh, that's that's a question mark for me. And you know, the the officiating, I I do think that the, you know, the Chiefs have benefited, you know, two times in a row um, in the AFC title game and in the Super Bowl. And and honestly, both times, if you kind of look at the letter of the law, it was probably the correct call. But they're kind of like you know borderline 50/50 calls, and the, the question is, okay, do you do you call it in that moment? And I don't I don't have a great answer for that because you know you should call the game of you know about the same the whole way, um, you know. And and Bradbury certainly thought it it was you know a hold, like he he did enough to to draw a flag. The, you know the question is, it just. The game was so great. It was going down to the wire and it was kind of anticlimactic once the penalty happened. Um, so I don't know. I, I do think the, the NFL has questions with officiating for sure. I and mean, so they could, you know, it's been a years long problem. But uh, but last night, I think I think people just felt like they were a little bit robbed of of, you know, whatever team won, just a, a better ending.
3: Rustin Dodd of the Athletic. Rustin, as we begin to wrap up, a couple of Jaguar related notes from last night. The ankle that Mahomes hurt against Jacksonville flared up again last night, but again he puts on his Superman cape and comes out at halftime and is just dynamic in the second half, much like he was against the Jaguars twenty three days ago. And I read a piece that you wrote in the athletic about both of the touchdowns, the one that Kadarius Tony and the one to Sky Moore last night where they were wide open. And apparently Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, saw something in the Jaguar film against the Eagles from back in September that he used to his advantage last night.
2: Yeah, so, you know, the, the Chiefs saw that, especially, you know, on short yardage situations, especially near the goal line, um, the Jaguars were playing man – or not these Jaguars, the, the Eagles were playing man coverage – and that they would kind of do switch off when guys went into motion, especially, you know, like that jet sweep kind of motion. So the guy gets moving and then he kind of takes the, the handoff on a kind of a jet sweep. And they were really aggressive with the way that they were trying to defend that. You know, if you, if a guy sent went in motion, they'd switch it off and sort of try to overcompensate on the other side of the field. And in the, in the Jaguars Eagles game, um, I think it was, uh, Jamal Agnew, um, he scored a touchdown on the almost a carbon copy play, um, and you know the Chiefs scouted that they saw it. Eric Bieniemy made a point of it in a meeting about uh, you know a week before the Super Bowl. They installed that play and thought it was going to be productive. I don't know if they thought they were going to score you know two touchdowns on it, but but it was you know it's it's a kind of a it's kind of poetic in a lot of ways because you have Doug Peterson um, who you know was in Philadelphia. He's an Andy Reed disciple. And so obviously Andy Reid, you know, they they come from a very similar background. They they think the same ways. So, you know, I'm sure that play, I think other teams have run it. Uh, and I'm sure maybe the Chiefs had something in their playbook, you know, like that. But I think just seeing it the way the Jaguars ran it, they they just knew like, OK, this this is going to be open. And I think they they ran it a few times or at least they ran the motion. uh on some plays where they you could almost like a setup where they could they could see that yo yeah the defense was kind of switching off and it was going to be open um so so yeah the, the chiefs were were using the Jaguars film in the lead up to the Super Bowl
3: Well I love that Certainly there was a Jaguar presence last night and right when that play was run I, I actually thought to myself Jaguars did something like that and against Philadelphia earlier and then come to find out reading your story yeah, the enemy looked at that game itself and took that play out of it. Rustin, leave us with this. Final question, just curious, uh, your perspective. Uh, you cover the league as a whole. Uh, a quick thought on Jacksonville. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence earlier and Doug Peterson. I got to tell you, man, there's a lot of excitement in our city going into this off season about what could be coming down the line for the Jaguars after years and years of, quite frankly, ineptitude. Uh, what's your thought on the Jaguars moving forward? Well, I, I, mean, I think
2: they have the, the, the coach, right? They have they have a coach or the or the right coach, I guess. Um, and I think they have a quarterback. I, I I do think that, you know, just from, you know, Trevor Lawrence took a big leap this year, and I, I think they're next year. It's can he take another leap to where he is, you know, closer to that, uh, Burrow, Mahomes, Josh Allen tier. Um, and you might even put Mahomes in his own tier and say, and say Allen and Burrow are you know just below him. Um, but can can Trevor Lawrence take that next step to where it's it's clear that he's in that sort of Burrow uh, Allen tier? And if he does, then I think you if you have uh, the coach and the quarterback, then you know you have. Uh, at least two more seasons with Trevor Lawrence on a rookie contract where you should be able to really put a team around him. And then, and then it gets a little bit tougher once, you know, once you have to extend him, but, but if he is continues to develop and he is in that borough Allen tier, then there's only so many quarterbacks out there like him. So I, you know, I think next year is really telling, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think Cincinnati, like for instance, like last year when they made sort of that leap, um, you know, maybe Jacksonville is that team next year, right? So where they're right there competing for the AFC title game, or could sneak into a Super Bowl. But I, I think a lot of it depends on if if you know Trevor Lawrence can make that next kind of progression. But if he can, uh, you know, I think you know coaching quarterback; those are the two most important pieces in the NFL. And uh, if you have those two, uh, you're in good shape.
3: I agree, and the Jaguars certainly appear to have those two in order. Rustin Dodd of The Athletic, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Rustin, safe travels home, brother. We appreciate you joining us today. I know you're very busy. We'll talk again soon.
2: Oh, thank you so much. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
3: Monday night coaching with Campo. Our man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, about five minutes away. We'll do more on this tomorrow night. Um, But it's officially a disappointment in Gainesville with Todd Golden in year number one. The basketball team inexcusably losing to Vanderbilt over the weekend. They allow 97 points to Alabama. Come back home and allow 88 to Vanderbilt. It's uh, horribly disappointing because they are wasting a terrific player and Colin Castleton. He's going to go down as one of the best big men that's played at the University of Florida probably since Horford and Noah and those guys 15 years ago. And Todd Golden could turn it around. I'm certainly not giving up on Todd Golden after 25 games, but there is no doubt that it is disappointing this year. 13-12 and and just an inexcusable loss to Vanderbilt. They're not going to the NCAA tournament. Florida State's not going to the NCAA tournament. I don't know the last time that both the Knowles and the Gators were not in the big dance, but it's going to be weird, the NCAA tournament around these parts, without Florida and without Florida State. More on that, though, later in the week. Florida will try to get back in the win column, I believe, on Wednesday when they take on Ole Miss. Dave Campo, Monday Night Coaching. With my man Dave Campo, let's talk Super Bowl 57. Let's look ahead to the Jaguars. What are Doug Peterson and the coaching staff, what are they doing right now to get ready for a free agency four weeks from tonight? That's next, Hacker After Dark. It's a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The NFL season officially comes to an end. The Kansas City Chiefs hoisted the Lombardi Trophy one night ago, the second Super Bowl for Patrick Mahomes, the second Super Bowl for Andy Reid. Let's review it with our man Dave Campo, a little Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how we doing, my friend?
1: Doing great, and uh, what a game, and – 2022 in the books and there's no question in my mind the best two teams in the league played each other there were no surprises uh they were both uh, just outstanding football teams and it was a as I said it was a great ball game
3: coach I don't know if it made you cringe you're a defensive guy but boy those offenses were just humming last night let's begin with the losers Philadelphia uh, they did not lose because of their offense coach Jalen Hurts was absolutely magnificent last night
1: well Jalen hurts is an outstanding player and uh, you know obviously he made some throws and they made some catches that were especially Goddard uh they made some catches that were excellent uh and you know you gotta you gotta give them credit for the for the last drive prior to Kansas City kicking the field goal with them coming down and getting back into the game behind eight and scoring the two-point play. Uh, he's a he's an outstanding player. There's no question in my mind why he was one of the candidates for MVP.
3: Dave Campo here with us. Coach, what happened with Jalen Hurts? We talked about this a little bit last week. But, again, there was real concern that he wasn't the guy. I'm watching him last night. He's every bit in the conversation with Herbert and Lawrence and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, I mean, the guy is absolutely sensational.
1: Yeah, there's no question. I mean, the guy has uh, all the qualities that you're looking for. Uh, and and one of his biggest qualities is he can throw the deep ball. You know, they're, uh, he's capable of, of throwing the ball all over the field. He's got a good arm. And the thing that makes him so dangerous, and one of the things that really hurt Philadelphia in my mind in the second half, is that, you know, they didn't run him enough. And, and he's an outstanding runner. You know, he was – He ran up for over 700 yards this year, so he's a legitimate back, not only a quarterback but a a running back as well.
3: I asked you this a couple of weeks ago. I'm probably going to ask you until somebody stops it. And, again, it's just a little side note, but I'm fascinated by it. They might be the best quarterback-sneaking offense in the history of pro football. Why can no one stop their quarterback sneak?
1: Well, you know they they do such a good job getting off the ball and getting low with their offensive line. And remember you got a, a a pretty big quarterback and now they put those two guys right behind uh you know him and and then it's just a constant push. and you know again, it's hard to stop that. Uh, you know the only way to try to stop it is what Chris Jones did come over this top and hit him and you hope somebody else can hit him at the same time because uh, Chris took a ride after getting over the top. He did stop him for a second, but, uh, again, uh, that was a lot of beef in there running that ball right there.
3: Head coach Dave Campo here with us, Monday night coaching with Campo on Hacker After Dark. All right, the Kansas City offense. As explosive, they did not punt the ball in the second half. Coach, what adjustments did Andy Reid make? Because it was a different football game in half number two. Well, I think a
1: couple things. Number one, uh, you know, they went more to the running game. You know, Philadelphia was playing a lot of two-high stuff, whether it was quarters or quarter-halves or halves, cover two. uh, and, And Pacheco was a big, big part of those drives. You know, they got him the ball. They got him on the perimeter. But let me tell you something. I am so impressed with Pacheco. That guy can fly now. If you get him into open space, he can he can accelerate. And that was one of the big things right there. Plus, uh, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to that quarterback. You know, again, this guy, I, I don't know. He's a magnificent healer because I didn't think there was any question that they were coming back. You know, he was coming back in the second half. He comes out and he made two critical runs uh, where where he accelerated and it didn't even look like he was injured. So I think that coupled with I think Andy Reid is the is the very best with the use of motion. You know, when they when you get inside the five yard line, six yard line, you know, you, you have to play man on defense and he caught him twice with the same play. Uh, on the return motion because they do a, such a good job with the motion from one side to the other that teams start overplaying it, and all of a sudden he runs the same play, one on one side to to uh, Tony, and then comes back with Sky Moore on the other side for another touchdown. So the guy's magnificent, and, and to be honest with you, I think the enemy, you know, watching those guys on the sideline I really think he's a big part of that. I, I really think the running game part is a lot of B enemy.
3: Coach, I was listening to Philadelphia Sports Radio this morning. As you can imagine, um, it was a very interesting program. Uh, but one of the things that they talked about is what you just mentioned, Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore absolutely being wide open for touchdowns. And, in fact, some Philadelphia media members tweeted out a video from the Jaguar Philadelphia game where Doug Peterson did the same thing. You act like you're in motion. You send the guy back to where he came from, and he was wide open. Is that good play calling by Andy Reid? Is that horrific defense by Gannon, the D coordinator, and the Eagles, a combination of both? How does something like that happen twice in the Super Bowl?
1: Well, you know, let me put it this way. That's in their DNA, and that's why, you know, Doug Peterson runs it you know the, but i think kansas city does an even better job as i said than anybody with the combination because they will come in on the motion and and they'll they'll come in and they won't really start accelerating until they get into the formation and when they do that a lot of times they're wide open going across because you have to pass everything off well as a defensive guy you've got to come under control until that re- receiver accelerates. And both times they passed it off from the outside guy to the next guy inside, and the guy took his eyes off the guy coming in motion. He was just trying to run to the other side, and, and you know, they beat him with it. So to me it's, uh, you know, I'm not sure that they worked it enough on defense, but I really think a lot of it is just the way they – They, uh, you know, fool you with all that motion uh, with the offense of Kansas City.
3: Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Coach, my wife asked me something during the game last night, and I tried to explain it to her, but I guess I really didn't do a good job, and you can do a better job than I did. And a lot of people have just asked this question. It's a very simple question. Everybody in that stadium knows Patrick Mahomes is going to throw it to Travis Kelsey. The defense knows it, the fans know it, the guy selling popcorn knows it. Why is Travis Kelsey always wide open?
1: Well, he first of all, he's got an uh, excellent burst after he catches the ball. In all honesty, he's a, he's a wide receiver playing tight end. And, you know, the guy, uh, the, the key to it is you've got to be perfect on your coverage with him, uh, you know, because he, he can do everything. He can set you up with an outside move. If you're outside and come underneath, he can make a move to the inside, uh, look like he's running that deep over route, which he is really good at, and come back with what they call a sail route, which he did a couple times. Looks like he's running the over, and then he stops on a dime and comes back. Those put pressure on the defense. And unfortunately, because you've got Uh, the quarterback and the ability to run the ball and do some other things. You can't double cover him on every down, but he also has the ability to split the double team. So in all honesty, he's a great route runner who has excellent burst off the cut and, and he's very, very difficult. And he's also, he understands zone defense. And when you understand zone defense, the combination of the quarterback and the receiver, in this case, Kelsey, if they're on the same plays, they know when to accelerate versus man and when to sit down versus zone, and I think they're both on the same page. I think they have a great relationship. I think that that could be developed with Ingram and and uh, Trevor Lawrence the same way, and I and I see that as a something going forward for Jacksonville
3: as well. Just to put it in perspective, receiving touchdowns in the postseason, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. That combo with 15 leads the NFL in, in history. Mahomes and Kelsey now have 14. So they will pass Gronk and Brady, you would think, next year. That's how lethal that combination is. Coach, let's talk about the holding penalty. Everybody was talking about it last night. Let's continue the conversation this evening. Did you believe it was a holding penalty by James Bradbury? Should the referees have called it in that situation what was your take on the play that basically won Kansas City the Super Bowl?
1: Well, you know, uh, let, let me put it this way: uh, it, by the letter of the law, it might have been a little bit of a hole. I, I think I saw a little bit of a pull on the on the uh, shirt, but there were plays earlier in the ball game where they were much worse than that that weren't called. And my feeling is that a big ball game like that you don't want the super bowl to end on a on a penalty and and especially it's a judgmental penalty it's not like an offside where you can see it clean and to me i don't think it should have been called but at the same time you know you know i'm not right there and and you you i guess you call what you see but i just hate to have you know the game end uh, on something like that when you know, obviously they would have probably scored anyway, but you don't know that for sure. There might've been more time left on the clock. Hey, it's a judgment call. That's all it is to it.
3: Yeah, I thought it was holding. um, And I'll tell you, I kind of compliment James Bradbury in the post game. He said, yeah, I held him. He was hoping that he would get away with it, but I was surprised that Bradbury was so forthcoming with that in the post game locker room.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, again, uh, you know, I think the, You know, he was a a, stand-up guy on that, and and again, you know, I thought it was a little bit of a hold, and I'm sure it was.
3: Final moments here with our head coach, Dave Campo, Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Number two for Andy Reid. Where does this put Andy Reid, Coach, in the list of the greatest coaches of all time?
1: Oh, he's got to be uh, as good as any of them in my mind. I mean – He's not done. I, I don't think he's going to retire with that football team. He probably has a chance to get an, at least one more. And, uh, you know, I just think, you know, he's a first ballot Hall of Fame player, uh, coach, excuse me. Uh, there's no doubt that his ability to repeat, you know, repeat, you know, another Marv Levy, except that he's winning them, you know, and and that's that's the kind of guy you want. Uh, I I don't think there's any question he's he's one of the best uh, ever.
3: You know, same question for Patrick Mahomes. I thought this was interesting. Mahomes becomes the 13th quarterback to win multiple Super Bowls. And, in fact, of those 13 quarterbacks, they have 36 Super Bowl wins. So only 21 guys have won it one time. 13 guys have won it multiple times, now including Patrick Mahomes – obviously a hall of famer already at the age of 27, but where do you put Mahomes, coach when you talk about the greatest of all time?
1: Well, you know, I think it's, it's too early. You know, I think there's a lot more coming from him as well. You know, he's 27 years old. Uh, You know, sometimes you look at windows and you say, well, you know, how many, you know, how many uh, more times can you have a team put together that has a chance to win? You know, you start losing players with, with some free agency stuff. But that coaching staff has had a way of keeping everybody together. You don't go to five uh, straight uh, championship games, not Super Bowls, but championship games without keeping your team together. And, you know, their coaching staff and their, uh, you know, organization guys the general manager have done a great job. So I think there's more to come from him. He may end up the best ever, but right now you have to look at guys like Brady and, and, and some other guys for that at this point because he's still young.
3: All right, Dave Campo, as of 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time last night, the season is over. And now if you're the other 30 teams that did not participate last night, what is this morning like? The season's over. Is it now, all right, full steam ahead to 2023, vacations are – are kind of over and it's back to work
1: oh yeah there's no question and i think our guys here in jacksonville have been back to work for a while you know for for those guys it's back to work they'll give them they'll get their coaching staff so get a little time off maybe a week but they don't have much time to hang out after the super bowl uh you know the, it's pretty late in the you know the the grand scheme of getting ready for free agency in the draft and uh you know, I think it'll be uh, it'll be back to the grindstone for everybody right now.
3: Yeah, free agency four weeks from tonight. Not to pinpoint specific players, Coach, but, you know, in, in the war room, if you will. We know about the draft war room. You've said repeatedly over the years that free agency is kind of the same thing. Does Trent Baalke have a plan already? We're 28 days out, but is that what they've been doing for the last three weeks? A plan Absol- going forward? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think that they, you know, I've mentioned this before many times. I think that, you know, every team, I believe, we certainly had it. and I know some other teams do have a pro personnel department that has already graded, you know, every NFL player. That's all they do all year, the The, the pro scouts. And they have a, a list, a board of every player in the NFL uh, and have a grade on now, they'll start looking at those top grade guys and look at their own ball club. They've evaluated by position. They know the areas in their mind that they have to improve. And, uh, you know, that's what they'll be looking at. But, you know, the organization is also working on, you know, getting down under the cap and making sure that they can keep their own players. And that's what Jacksonville has been doing. Uh, You know, they've made a decision on who they need to keep and where they can, uh, you know, nickel and dime to get back under the, the cap, which is they will do, and and everything will go from there.
3: Dave Campo, I think you've joined us 22 Mondays in a row. Coach, I can't thank you enough. We're actually going to give you a couple of weeks off to enjoy yourself, but, Coach, free agency, like we said, will be here before we know it. The draft will be here before we know it. We're certainly going to be dialing your phone this off season. But again, thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks.
1: I appreciate it, Hack, and, and let me just say one more thing before we go on the game. It was a, in my mind, it was a great example of it's not how many great plays you make, it's how many bad ones you avoid. You know, they had an unforced error after an offside with the fumble, uh, and with the punt return, I honestly still believed at the team with the best roster lost the game and that's what happens when you make mistakes uh one way or another and uh you know it it looked like the Jaguars during the season a little bit early and they cleaned those up and you know you've got to avoid those things to win I appreciate you having me on all the time
3: Dave Campo love it coach we'll talk again soon bud thanks And thank you to head coach Dave Campo for joining us here tonight on Hacker After Dark. And again, coach has been with us basically every Monday from going back to the latter stages of August. We'll give him a few weeks off, but not too long. Again, free agency four weeks from tonight, but always appreciate our Monday night coaching sessions with Campo. Thank you to Dave Campo all season long. That'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Monday night edition of of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight as the Kansas City Chiefs are world champions again. They defeat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. And now, the NFL offseason officially commences. Franchise tags are the first order of business. Those are about two weeks away. And then, Monday, March 13th, is the start of NFL free agency. We got a lot of people to thank tonight, including Dave Campo. Thank you to Rustin Dodd of the Athletic, live out in Phoenix for recapping Super Bowl 57 with us. Always enjoy the conversation with Rustin Dodd, does a terrific job with the Athletic and our man Mike DeRocco, DRock of ESPN.com. Stop by in hour number one to kind of lay out the blueprint for the Jaguars off season. We will be back tomorrow night. Are you kidding me? It's our late night show. Where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on hacker after Dark and we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight, Dylan great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again on a Tuesday, beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.